0: As many of you know, if you're regular listeners, I started this show four and a half, gosh, almost five years ago because I wanted access to really successful people who were doing cool things because I don't know a lot, but I do know that success leaves clues. And I will tell you what. When we get a chance to interview some of these people, like today's guests, and they tell us about their path, uh, you know what they did, they always leave a nugget, an idea, a theory and, an, and, and something inspiring along the way. And all of us can learn from that. So we are now up to episode number 463. And I am excited about this episode because today we have Ryan Spong, and Ryan is the founder of Foodie. He's also a Canadian. I love having the Canadians on the show because the the stereotype is true. The Canadians are the nicest people on the planet. So Ryan, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do.
1: Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I'll start by saying something like, I'm sorry.
0: Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, thank you very much for, for having me on. So I don't really read the bios that the PR people send me. I like to let you sort of describe what is your business and what do you do? So tell us about Foodie.
1: Yeah, let me, um, let me start by giving you a tiny bit of background, and uh, you know, I think that'll put it in context. I noticed that, uh, as I was reading through your bio, that uh, we had a, a similar start to entrepreneurship. I, uh, I too, started as a, a busboy in a restaurant, and uh, I don't know what it is about restaurants, but uh, you do get sort of a, uh, a take, I think, on, on customer service, certainly, and customer experience. Uh, but that began for me about an eight-year uh, career in, in restaurants, I guess you'd call it, but basically just as a waiter and a, a caterer, put myself through undergrad, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, I graduated, I, I spent some time in finance uh, that, that culminated in uh, uh, some, uh, a more formal career, I guess, on Wall Street as an investment banker. Um but I've been in entrepreneurship for the last 12 years or so, and, and most of my companies to date have been bootstrapped. But uh, the one that I still own that's bootstrapped is a group of restaurants. So, you know, lo and behold, here I am, you know, at, at, at 40 back in the restaurant game where where it sort of, you know, began for both of us. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what led me to Foodie. Um, I spent, you know, half of my career in restaurants, half in in corporate offices, and uh, here I am, the CEO of Foodie, which is a business that bridges this world. So at at Foodie, we're a software platform uh, that allows corporate buyers, and this is admins and EAs and so forth, who buy food for large groups of people uh, to manage that spend. So a, uh, a good way to think about it would be more like DoorDash for business. So where that experience kind of falls apart in-app, let's say we're ordering on a Friday night on a food delivery app for five or six people, it starts to get pretty complicated. Uh, uh, Our software is uh, basically targeted at kind of 10 to 500 person groups where one person's uh, responsible for coordinating all that.
0: Um, Yeah. So, So what led you? You said you were in investment banking for a long time. I always find it interesting when somebody is sort of in, in an industry like that, where it's sort of, you know, I mean, that's the, the, the top of the world. That's sort of the top of the food chain in business. I'm always amazed when people walk away from that. So what led you into this world of entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I think entrepreneurship, uh, it, it's a calling, right? Uh, you either you either hear the call or you, you don't hear the call. And, and uh, you know, as a young man, I think I was probably, um, didn't, didn't hear the call loudly enough i would say uh i knew i wanted to be an entrepreneur at some point in my life you know i could hear this sort of faint ringing of that um when i graduated from undergrad i got a, a job on a, a trading desk uh, uh at a bank so i was trading during the uh during sort of the internet uh, 1.0 bubble you know this is like 99 2000 2001 um when, when everything came to a crashing halt in 2001, I went back to business school. And I had thought at that point, you know, that the, the call had gotten a little bit louder. I thought, I'm going to go to business school and I'm going to round out, uh, you know, strategy and marketing. I'm going to learn about how to become an entrepreneur. Um, but what happens, you know, if you're a certain type of person and I'm kind of a type A personality is you get around all these other type A personalities in business school and you're either trying to become a consultant, you know, and work at McKinsey you are trying to become an investment banker, and, and uh, with my background in finance, I just went straight for those investment banking jobs. Uh, and before you knew it, i had been recruited. You know, I had a I got a great job uh, with the, with a British bank, but down in New York. And uh, you know, I, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't have a second guess. It was the best job, literally, that came out of that school. And uh, but what happens is, you know, you for me anyway, I'm, I'm two and a half, three years into that career and I'm looking around and I couldn't see anybody I wanted to be, Mm. you know, it's just that simple. You know, my, my, my boss was a great guy. Um, but he had no life, you know, he was working just as hard as I was, you know, hundred hour weeks, Uh, um, you know, and, and his boss was making more money and even working more hours and, you know, nice people, but not the life that I, I want it. And I think what you realize when you get to Wall Street, too, is that people are there to make money for, their, for its own sake. You know, they want to be around it. They want to get some for themselves. Uh, the thing about entrepreneurship is that you can do something that you really, really like, that you're really passionate about, you know, that you really enjoy or that is really meaningful, values-based. Uh, and the money comes from that. But it's not the reason for it. It's the result of
0: You know, it's really interesting that you say that because I spent a lot of my career with my ladder against the wrong wall. I I was a corporate sales and marketing guy. I I did well. I I, I won awards. I won trips. You know, I was uh, moving the bottom line. You know, for the company. And yet, at the same time, I just never felt really fulfilled. I never felt like I was doing what I wanted to do. And and now the last ten years, I've worked for myself, and I have I've just sort of developed my own thing. So my daughter went to undergrad at one of the top undergrad business schools in the United States, and. Her sophomore year, freshman, sophomore year, uh, she had uh, – one of the guys she knew who was a little bit older was doing an internship in Austin, Texas. And so she was home for the summer, so she hung out with this guy, and we invited him. Uh, my daughter's boyfriend came down to visit, and they were all friends, and so we all went out to dinner. And later that night, my daughter texted me, and she said, Justin said you're the most interesting person he's ever met. Now, my, <laughs> my daughter can be a smartass, right? So I thought there was like a follow-up line to that. And so like 10 minutes later, I'm like, <clears throat> and? And she goes, no, that's what he said. And I said, why would he say that? And she said, Justin said you're the only person he's ever met who invented his own job, (laughs) which is really sort of what I did. I mean I created my own job as a uh, professional speaker and a corporate trainer, and I love what I do. I get to go in. It's different every time, big companies, small companies, associations, and it's always different, and I feel so fulfilled. So when you were talking about looking around saying – I don't see anybody here that I want to be like, that's the way I felt in corporate America. So it really resonated with me.
1: You know, that's such an interesting point that you, you mentioned, you know, I think, and this may be a theme, uh, you know, when we talk about that, 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 uh, that distance between, you know, potential uh, and action. Uh, I think the thing that people think about entrepreneurship or what paralyzes them is this fear. And, uh, you know, one of the messages I wanted to get across today is just, just what you talked about is that, you know, uh, people ask me, oh yeah, you know, you're an entrepreneur. You've been an entrepreneur for 12 years. I've got three kids and one on the way in September, which four,
0: four kids. (laughs) That's, that's a lot of kids, by
1: the way. Yeah. That the third, the fourth one was a surprise.
0: They know what Uh, causes, they know what causes that now, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to take care of that cause. Actually,
1: speaking of that, uh, shortly there, shortly after September, but uh, but you know, having kids and having responsibility and and uh, you know, mouths to feed and all that kind of stuff. I get the question sometimes from my buddies. You know, don't you find it risky? You know, you're you're sort of responsible for you know, and not even just your own paycheck, but all your employees and all this kind of stuff. But like your story that you just told about creating your own job, I think entrepreneurship's actually not that risky in that regard because I'm 43, and I think about being, you know, in my late 40s, my early 50s, and being in some massive organization where, you know, whoever is stewarding the thing at the top makes some bad decisions, and they have to call 20%. Well, the guy with the, you know, mid-six-figure job you know who's 50 something he's right at the front of the line for losing that job and having to rebuild but when you're an entrepreneur the cool thing about it is that uh, you, you have successes and you'll have failures but you have a playbook that makes you able to go out and create anything you want you will always always have a job
0: yeah absolutely and that's i mean that's what happened to me i got laid off on april 1st 2009 and uh, first of all, the irony of right. being laid off on April 1st has never been lost on me. But, <laughs> but second of all, April 2009 was the bottom of the Great Recession. I mean, there were no jobs. That was the worst of the worst. And I just decided that was it. You know, uh, you know, my boss called 50% of her company off the payroll that day, and I was part of it. And that was fine. She saved the company. It's bigger than ever, and and, and she has continued to do well. But it didn't help my situation. And so I decided on that day I didn't have to make the big giant salary. I just needed to get by, and I needed to be fulfilled. And so I was 42 when I started. Somewhere around 50, I decided, you know what? I can make this more fun. And at 50, I decided I was going to make age 50 to 75 the best years of my life. And I've just started saying yes to things. And I do have down years. And I do have times where I think, what am I doing? I'd be better off back as a corporate marketing director. And yet, at the same time, I'm happier and more fulfilled than I've ever been. So you've been doing this for a long time now. What is it that you love about entrepreneurship?
1: Oh, God, there's so many things. You know, I think one of the things that you get with entrepreneurship that you don't get with um, other careers, I think, is that every aspect of your life and every job that you've ever had comes to comes to bear. Uh, so, you know, if you decide to take the leap into entrepreneurship and you start following that path, it's really a snowball going down the hill. You know, and I'll give you an example. Um, you know, my f- my first job out of undergrad, uh, it was uh, in the stock brokerage. But my first job there was in the call center. Yeah, so I had the headset, I had the uh, you know the whole script. You know, thank you for calling, blah blah blah. Getting paid nine bucks an hour or whatever it was. Um, it was actually I got it through a temp agency because I have
0: an English lit undergrad. <laughs> so, <quick laughs> which twitch, English lit finance same thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, quick digression. I remember my dad, who's a, a, an operations management guy, came to my English lit undergrad ceremony, and he said, shook my hand, and said, "You know, congratulations, super proud of you." Well, what are you going to do for for a job? <laughs> and I remember thinking, "Oh yeah, right, going to get a job, get a
0: job." Yeah. So my yeah. my my oldest daughter just graduated from Carnegie Mellon University, and uh, she has oh, a congrats. degree in business administration and a double degree in history, and. I think it's great because she loves history and she decided she was going to minor in it just because she loved it. And the head of the history department said, you know, it's like two or three more classes and you can make it your second major. And one of those classes was the history of business. So she could get double credit for it. And so it was really only two extra classes. And uh, what's so funny is, is that, you know, all my friends are like, why, why did she get a minor in history as if somehow that was horrible? I think it's the greatest thing in the world. If you love something, put it in there, work it in.
1: Yeah, you know, the, the, the English lit like base, uh, I kind of, you know, it was an a, a, uh, early 20s kind of moment where I had this dead poet society type teacher who <laughs> oh, was like, you Oh, know, captain, you should, my you, captain. Yeah, exactly. You should switch. I mean, I was in physics, I switched over to English lit. Anyway, that's a whole other story, but uh, I, I do find that that base is helpful in business. Like the written word, you know, how much communicating you do in business. Uh, it's, it's basically the only thing I do all day. I, I mean, I still go back to English, like language classes, uh, just to like tighten up emails, you know, like all the way back anyway. So, uh, point is, uh, you know, when I was in that uh, call center job at the bank, I thought, oh man, this is the worst, you know, this is, I mean, after a few months, uh, and I never thought I'd have to draw on that experience again. It was another 15 years or so before I became an entrepreneur. And, of course, the first thing that we had to do at Foodie was set up our customer service system. Right? So I'm going drawing back to those days, looking at headsets and how those stations were set up and all that kind of stuff. So I think one of the things that I love about entrepreneurship is uh, if, you're, if you're listening and you and started the hour by saying, you know, people drop clues. Those clues are everywhere and can positively impact your business. Um, uh, the second thing and and uh, and this is this is I think the most important when you get to having uh, more stakeholders in your lives, like like wives and children and all this kind of stuff, is that um, entrepreneurship can completely strengthen those other aspects of your life. You know one thing I remember when I had a like more of a j o b was that I could, you know, when I, when I, when I left the office, you leave it there and then that's just all that work stuff and you're home with your friends and you're home with your family or whatever, and they're totally separate. Entrepreneurship never sleeps, right? So you're going to be, when you're building your business uh, and for those entrepreneurs that are listening. You know this Sunday morning. You know Sunday at soccer. You're 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 hoping that your kid doesn't look at you while you're you know on your mo- <laughs> <you're> on your <laughs> handheld when they score the goal because you're working the whole time. Um, but the cool thing about it is that they don't have to be separate. If you choose uh, and 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 work on entrepreneurship that you uh, that enriches your life, you can. Uh, bring that into the other aspects of your life. And I'll, I'll just give you a quick example of that and then we'll, we'll move on. But so, you know, we wanted to uh, buy a, a vacation property, right? Uh, somewhere to go get the kids out of the city. And so we bought this farm and, uh, you know, I haven't talked about it, but the, the way that I got into to foodie was by owning this group of restaurants. And, uh, and so, you know, the farm we've, planted a crop that we're teaching the kids how to farm because they're city slickers. Mm-hmm. You know, we're teaching them about the growing cycle. We're teaching them where food comes, all that kind of stuff. It's a vacation place, but it's also something that's being sold uh, into our restaurants. Uh, and it's, you know, I think it's a, a good story that kind of um, furthers that, that uh, you know, that business of ours. Um, so entrepreneurship, I think, can enrich other aspects of
0: your life. Oh, absolutely! I mean, you know, my my kids have you know grown up with this. You know, they're they're teenagers and in their early twenties, but they've grown up with me doing this now for over a decade. And you know, my my daughter, her fiance is a PhD student, and she doesn't she graduated with a great degree, but she didn't want to go work sixty hours a week at a bank. Because he's still a student for the next few years, and, and he's getting a degree in advanced mathematics, but you know he still has a little bit of flexibility in his day, so she wanted to be able to live life with her fiance, and she basically said, you know what? I think I can create my own path, and so she's a fitness trainer. She's all into helping women get strong and learn how to eat right, and so she does online fitness coaching, and then in addition to that, she's helping entrepreneurs like other speakers and other solopreneurs who I know. Doing project work for them, so she's you know helping people scrub lists. She's doing website reviews. She's doing some light video editing, and all of a sudden, she's figuring out a way on how to piece together um, a life that she can build the way she wants. And she's like, "Look, you and mom did it," and so it's like, yeah. in a way, I think that's awesome. And people, you know, I've had people say, "Well, wait a minute, you know, she graduated this degree. You should make her go get a Wall Street job." And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't think that's that's what we're here for at this point." <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's and that's another great point too. I think that probably the the biggest one and, you know, if I'm being completely frank, you know, the the thing that that pushed me this the the most is that you get to be your own boss, you know, uh, and, and that's twofold. Number one is that, you know, you you get to make decisions now that's also slash you have to make decisions and, and of course
0: <laughs> and uh, sometimes you we, make bad decisions I'll, I can oh. attest to that
1: <laughs> yeah for sure. I mean sometimes you're making bad decisions uh, and, and always you're making them with imperfect information and, and, and hopefully as much of a fraction you know as you can. So sometimes you're making bad decisions but you know aside from being your own boss, which is the obvious one, you also get to take all of your experiences from before and decide to create the kind of company that you want. If you're a, an entrepreneur, and in both my, my, my companies, I've got, you know, lots of employees. And so, uh, you know, I think about the kind of company that I want to work at and the kind of company I wanted to work at when I was a young person. Um, and you get to make those decisions and create, you know, a lot of those those rules. So, as an example, at, at Foodie, we, we allow remote work. So, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays, everybody works from home. We're we're based in WeWorks all around the country. Nice, um, but but we also, you know, we want people to, and especially high performers, to feel like they can work from home, um, because you know that was the worst p- part of investment banking, was Facetime. You know, if you're the bottom rung, you are leaving between midnight and two in the morning, and you have to be back at your desk at six forty-five. So, uh, the Facetime was the most asinine thing uh because your amount of work you know was was low but the amount of like drain on your resources was high um i wanted to flip that up at 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 foodie and the the cool thing about remote work i'll just touch on real quick is um i think about you know the five senses or whatever you know if somebody loses a, a sense there's that there's that expression and, and i have all my senses I, I think so i can't i can't confirm this but uh that the other senses you know are are, are increased right mm-hmm. um so i think a facetime is vision right so if you're seeing somebody sitting at your desk you're you're equating that with work and uh as soon as you take that away you know it's like taking sight away now all you have are your other senses and and it, and at work, as people people probably know, you know, that's results. So, you know, without seeing people at your desk, it's a much easier conversation. It's like, hey, these KPIs are here. These numbers are here. You know, I don't know how much you're working, but I know that you're not getting it done. Or I know that you're getting it
0: done. Well, right? and so, and many people, a, so many people, so many people that they hide behind the word busy, right? How often do you run into somebody and you say, hey, how are you? And the first words out of their mouth is, oh, my God, I'm so busy, which I, I can – I've kind of put together with a lot of people are trying to prove to somebody, maybe themselves, that if they're busier than us, they're better than us or, or somehow. So, you know, I think just because someone's doing busy work or having that, you know, sitting at their desk doesn't mean they're actually getting results.
1: No, I think that's a that's a really uh, important distinction for sure. And and as an ex, ex-investment banker, I have to say, I didn't just wake up with this. It took me a long time to kind of grind that out of me, you know, that, 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 uh, that that habit but uh we've been at it for about a year here at foodie and uh, i think the staff has never been happier um results have never been better
0: so ryan what advice do you have for somebody who maybe they're an investment banker maybe they're doing in any any number of things but they want to like like i said they have their ladder against the wrong wall or like you said it was a calling inside of you what advice do you have for somebody who wants to go down the entrepreneurship path
1: yeah i think you know, there's there's probably uh, one piece of advice that I've learned the hard way, and uh, and then had success sort of following this after. So um, that piece of advice is become a domain expert. Um, so people may be interested in things. And go, I'd love to start a winery, or you know, I'd love to start X business that they 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 like, but they know very little about, and they haven't come up in it. And so we may touch on this again, you know, later, but that, that, uh, from idea to kind of action to, to success piece gets, it gets stopped there because, you know, people think, well, I, I would like to do this thing, but then very quickly realize I have no idea how to do it. Right. And so that becomes a bit of a blocker, you know? And so, uh, I'll give you my, my example first. So. So I had a big failure when I got into entrepreneurship. My my second company, uh, the first company I, I, I started and had a, a, a an, an exit for a, for a modest outcome. Um, the second one, I, I uh, started a prefab manufacturing company. Okay. So well, the first, first business was in construction, made the jump and uh, leased this massive warehouse. And my partner was an architect. He had done some prefab work. Um, We had some jobs from him that were going to be sort of our lead orders in the factory. And these would be like if you you read Dwell Magazine or or Wallpaper, these kind of modernist prefab. This is not like a a shed or whatever. We're building big houses, six, seven. Our biggest house was 9,000 square feet, modernist compounds with these sort of building blocks. In any case, got into this business, and at the three-year mark, things unraveled. Couple problems, and uh, w- without getting into the nitty gritty, had to close the business down at the three-year mark. Almost went bankrupt. Literally, you know, everything I had had to sell my my uh, my all my assets to make ends ends meet. So this is a this is a either a devastating moment for an entrepreneur or a, a very rich uh, learning experience. And, and this has proved to be fertile ground for me ever since, uh, and a lot of the lessons and stories I, I I talk about or I use when I'm making decisions come from this massive failure. You know, I had to lay off 150 people. Um, I, I made sure everybody was paid, didn't go bankrupt. The last check that I cut uh, was the same month that my first uh, son was born. So is there in a really <laughs> tough place as an entrepreneur because that's when you really say, well, maybe I should just get a job, mm-hmm. right? And I remember saying to my wife, you know, I just I'm just going to become a handyman, <laughs> you know, like a 34 ex investment banker broke entrepreneur. Just like I'm I'm done. And my wife, you know, she's a super supportive woman and always has been. And in that in those moments, was sending me sort of these inspirational entrepreneurship quotes and stories of, of successful folks that had had failures. And it, at the time, it's really difficult to listen. But in any case, I, I did get back on the on the horse and. You know, that's another story. But but the reason why, if I go back, the fundamental reason why that business failed is because I wasn't a domain expert. I had not had a failure to date. I had gone through a, a successful finance career. I had, had a successful outcome. I thought I could do anything. So um, so become a domain expert. Uh, there are so many uh, little things, little decisions that can take you off course. There, of course, are huge ones that will take you off course, but thousand little ones and if you're not a domain expert you'll just have no playbook so when I when I'm getting asked you know uh, how do I start this business my first question is have you done this right like have you had a job in this like go and uh, you know work in this sector because somebody else can pay for those mistakes that you're making while you're learning uh, you know my partner and I have an expression that Wisdom's expensive, and it's better to borrow than to pay full price, <laughs> and uh, and so you can do that if you're working in, in in that business for a long time. Of course, the other piece of advice, and it's related, is don't be an island. So the other real big contributing factor to that 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 failure that I, that I talked about is that I thought I knew everything, and I never had anybody around that was going to give me any advice. Okay, so. Uh, I, I, was, I was alone, I was making these decisions, I was inexperienced, but I was also not asking people what they thought. And uh, before I knew it, I was over my skis. So this kind of village of gurus idea that, uh, that people talk about, uh, that's a big thing for us at Foodie. We've got an incredible board of directors, but we've also got lots of great advisors that we can lean on when we're thinking about how to, how to make decisions.
0: So that's kind of a transition into the next question. So I love to ask the people who come on the show about this because one of the things that I do is I go in and I work with companies and teams and we talk about what I call the paradox of potential. Because Ryan, we get really excited when we start a company we have so much potential or, or we hire a new person. We hire Becky and we think, oh my God, she is going to transform this business. And then a year later, we're transitioning Becky out of the company. Well, how come? There was potential. Why didn't she work out? Well, because potential does not equal results. There is a gap between potential and performance and results. And so I love to ask the the entrepreneurs who come on this show, why do you think, I mean, obviously having been an entrepreneur for almost a decade, you've seen, you've seen people come and go. Why do you think some people get farther across that gap between potential and performance and other people fall into the abyss?
1: Well, you know, when I think about uh, employees and what we, so let me let me let me start by saying that if you've got a, a, somebody on your team that's not living up to your potential, uh, you the, the, the team lead has done one of two things wrong right So you've either hired poorly or you haven't given them all the tools they need to be successful but either way it very rarely comes down to that person right because um, so, so so when, when we're hiring, you know, I, I have sort of this acronym and I want to make sure that people that join my team, uh, have game. Okay. So G A M E, that's how kind of how I remember, uh, how I remember what I'm looking for, <laughs> but all of my questions in my interviews, uh, tend to follow uh, a path towards these four things. So one is that you're looking for people that are goal oriented. Okay. And, and that's obvious. You, you get lots of people talking about that, but, it, it, it show me a time when you've you've set a goal for yourself and you've gone to achieve it right not dreaming i would like to do this i thought about that show me a time where you did it right and so that's why i think people are uh enamored with with uh other other aspects other than work you know oh i i climbed you know mount everest i mean that is a very good indication that you've got somebody who can put one foot in the in front of the other you know literally um so uh a is accountability, and uh, I think accountability in in uh, in work is is the same in life. These are fundamental uh, things that your parents taught you that your friends taught you that you developed internally and these are things that cannot be taught um, so so our, our 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 folks in interviews talking about I or we they're talking about successes like they own them or not and that's a that's a really easy one to test for uh, M is mindset, so I think growth mindset is is a massive um, uh, let's call it like a like a steepener in terms of a like trajectory right if you've got somebody that's a lifelong learner, and I noted in your bio that you were a couch potato tom but uh, but now you take every opportunity you can to learn you know you can see it in people's eyes and you can ask them you know questions about their personal life again, to figure out whether or not these are lifelong learners or whether these people have a fixed mindset. How much TV is this person watching? Uh, And then the final one is empathy. So E is for empathy. And, um, you know, I I love the book Radical Candor. That's sort of uh, a book that uh, one of my employees sent me and said, hey, this is how you lead. Uh, You should read this book. So that was cool. Uh, Reading through it, I I found myself nodding and agreeing because Mm -hmm. I think that's how I I like to think of it. But you cannot have a teammate. You cannot have uh, a, um, a leader that does not have empathy and i'm not i'm not talking about you know uh, tears and all the rest of it i'm talking about people that take a genuine interest in others uh that that listen actively uh you know and and you don't have the blinders on so uh so that's the hiring piece tom i think uh, the other piece is is how you lead and uh, that, that expression you know people join companies and leave managers i've seen that you know dozens if not hundreds of times now uh you if you have uh a great manager one that supports and lives those those four values uh pulls that out in people uh you have people reach their potential you know uh you have uh people that that don't do those things that feel stuck and just watch them watch them level off all right
0: well, and I think that ties into to what I've discovered. I mean, I've surveyed over 500 people. I've interviewed hundreds more. And I think all of this to get people across that gap from potential to, to performance falls into three buckets. And it really is the same stuff you said. It's plans, passion and people. And the way I describe it is if you don't have plans or you you talked about goals, then you're just going through the motions. You got to, as a company, as a team, and as an individual, you have to know what you're doing and why. And and, and, the second bucket then is passion. I always tell people, if you don't like what you do, Go do something else because you're never going to reach you know, the, the best you can be if, if you're just miserable about it. I mean, I found that in my own life when I was in jobs that weren't really fulfilling. I mean, I was good, but it, I never really jumped to, to great. And then the last bucket is people and everything that goes around that. And that goes to the empathy. It goes to how you relate. It goes to your network. It goes to the reputation that you build. And the old adage that people do business with people they know, like, and trust you, know, you were talking about people leave managers. I mean that's, that's true for clients. It's true for employees. You know, in, in, We're in a world where no, the, the cliche of people doing business with, with people they know, like, and trust, it's more true than ever because it used to be to get to know you, Ryan, was a process. And along the way, like and trust would come along or it wouldn't, but there was a process involved. Now, we're all trying to fast forward. We're all into likes, links, shares, and follows. And somebody listens to this podcast, and they're like, oh, I know Ryan Spong. Well, well, no, they don't. They, they know a 35-minute conversation that you had you know, with some Yoho podcaster. And so we all think we know people because we now have access like we've never had. So I, I joke that the definition of the word know has changed to know of or know about. And so it's harder to get to like and trust. But when it happens, it's more powerful than ever, and I think that sort of goes in some bad with what you were saying
1: yeah you, you know uh the 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 no part uh i haven't I haven't spent a ton of time on uh, so i, I really like your take there. the like and trust piece you know I was as a kind of uh you know as entrepreneurs, you're gonna take stuff with you, and one of my sales uh Sales leaders on the foodie team and, and a friend of mine said, you know, salespeople will work for you if they like you. And in and, and sales, particularly, I could see that, you know, it's a very kind of uh, outgoing, gregarious kind of thing. And, and I took that a little bit further. And I think leadership in general is, is, is two things. One one is, for me, is like and, tr- and the other is trust. But in like, I break it out into two things. One is that they they have fun coming to work, right? So they like you, they, they enjoy their time, like it's fun, whatever that means for people. And that could be in a bunch of different things. But also that they they respect the person that you are. They like the man or woman that they are following. And uh, they become sort of almost mentors through that through that, that initial attraction, like. The other piece around trust is also, I break it into two things. On the trust side, you know, they want to trust that you can do your job. They're looking at their leadership. They're saying, okay, I trust these guys to get it done. But the other piece of trust too, is that they trust you with their career trajectory. So, you know, I I think of, of companies as really being employment is really being uh, a contract. Uh, obviously, there is an employment contract, but 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 more of a, a an, an unspoken one where you say, okay, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to build this company with you. And in return, I'm going to leave this company better than I came in. And so, if you have trust from your team that they're going to be better for knowing you, they're going to be better for having spent a period of their career with you, and they're going to be on a steeper trajectory or the right trajectory, whatever that goes, um, then you've kind of got that that, you know, Uh, leaving manager's uh, problem licked.
0: (laughs) No, I think think you're right. I'm sitting here nodding because I'm thinking that was very profound. And I need to, uh, when I'm promoting this uh, podcast, I need to tell people to go back to like, you know, minute 37. (laughs) The profound stuff was all in like minute 36, minute 37. So, Ryan, I've actually got a couple more questions for you. But before we get to the last questions, I've got to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time, oh yeah, and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance (laughs) to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Ryan Spong. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the special offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Ryan, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest things you're doing with Foodie right now? Yeah, so,
1: you know, uh, I think the nice thing about Foodie is that it's a, it's a software Platform. So when we started Foodie five years ago, uh, we were actually driving food around, right? So we'd have a two, three, four hundred dollar order for corporate, you know, catering, and our drivers would actually show up at restaurants. So, so we match restaurants and, and corporate caterers. But uh, flash forward five or six years here, and that kind of final mile logistics piece has really been solved. You know, you can't walk down a city street in North America without seeing the gig economy workers. Uh, you know, with backpacks of one company and a hat of another company and a T-shirt of a third company delivering food and, every, you know, everything that we could possibly want. Uh, so, you know, over the last year or so, we've built integrations uh, that have allowed us to tie in that logistics. So, uh, I think of that log- that final mile logistics as almost being the same kind of wave that uh, we felt in the late 90s around e-commerce and the internet. Uh, you know, can you build a business on the back of, of this ASAP delivery web? Uh, so uh, I really like that we've done that. That's allowing us to service clients around North America. We're able to follow our clients now rather than expand geographically. Um, uh, the other thing I think that uh, is really exciting about it is that we're using uh, AI now in order to pair restaurants with clients. So you can imagine that if you're a uh, an EA and you're trying to feed 500 people every single day, and this is becoming kind of de rigueur in, in the modern economy, you know, lunch, lunch is provided as part of your, your contract, you know, work employment contract, you have a big problem on your hands. You have to solve for 10 vegan Diets ten vegetarian. The modern office has keto and dairy free and gluten free and whatever nightshade allergy and all of these things in a 500 person group. And you have to solve for uh, budget, right? You and I get a $12 budget, and the and the uh, the, the the CEO gets a $20 budget. Um, if you're trying to pair that with restaurants and you're trying to trying to also solve for variety, you have just a massive problem on your hands. And in a given city. We have hundreds of these meal meal uh, program clients and hundreds of restaurants that want to service them. Um, and keep in mind, too, Tom, that when we give a client a restaurant an order, this typically will shut them down. They can't receive another order because this could be a five or six hundred dollar order, right? Uh, we we are using uh, now advanced AI to solve for this problem across North America. Hmm. So I think between between those two things, we've got a hyperscalable model and. Uh, you know, one of the things we're thinking about right now is uh, our our next fundraise, uh, in order to, to to pour some gas in the tank. We are not only profitable on a unit economic basis, you know, per order. We are profitable on a per city basis, and now we're profitable as an entire company. So we're ready for the next stage.
0: That that's awesome. And as you explode and Foodie becomes a household name, I get to say he was here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs <laughs> Do when nobody had heard of Foodie. So that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. So I love to ask the people who come on this show who they admire who are entrepreneurs. Out there in the big entrepreneur sphere, who do you see where you think, hey, he or she, they're doing cool stuff. And here's the reason I ask the question. Because we live in this world where it's, hey, look at me, look at me. But I think great entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. So I think when we can get entrepreneurs to say, here's who I admire and why, I think it causes all of us to stop and learn. So so who do you admire?
1: You know, I was, I was thinking about that uh, before I came on. And there's a bit of a conundrum, I think, with 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 answering. It's a great question. Mm, I was listening to uh, Kanye yesterday, and uh, there's a Jay Z rap in there, and it's a common expression, but uh, something like uh, "die young enough to be hero, to be a hero, or live long enough to see yourself become the villain." Uh, and I think the The thing about all the entrepreneurs that we know, you know, that I could say here that people would know is that past a certain stage, uh, companies are big enough that um, how they're known is sort of more of a caricature, you know, and 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 it's around the success and the size of it. So if I was to say Elon Musk, which you and I talked about, you know. What made him successful to begin with is completely lost, I think um, you know now he 's sort of a caricature I think he's he 's famous and and there is this same thing happening with entrepreneurs that happen with with chefs, this sort of rise of the celebrity CEO um, so I think this is a long way to say that my my idols or my people that influence me the most in entrepreneurship are not known. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a great community here in Vancouver, uh, tech tech folks, uh, that I you know I referred to this village of gurus. But I'll boil it down to a couple. And number one, I think, and what gave me the entrepreneurial bug was my grandfather. So a guy who uh, got drafted into the World First World sorry Second World War uh, as a radio man showed a lot of uh, uh, skill there, and then when he was uh, after to the war, started a radio repair shop that then turned into kind of like a you know, record store and, and stereo store, you know, that kind of early Sam the Record Man or Tower Records kind of a vibe and built it to three. But I think you know he's the guy who gave me the bug for entrepreneurship. Right? He was successful. He was a man of honor. Uh, he lived the same life outside of the walls of his business that he did in, uh, and, he, and you know, he did incredibly well. Uh, number two, I think, is, uh, is a partner that I have now. And, uh, you know, this is an entrepreneur who's taught me uh, a, a bunch of stuff. But I think the, the one big takeaway that I've had is that the world does not need more crap. <laughs> what you need to, you know, if you want to do this, you have to provide value. And, you know, that was a, a kind of founding tenet of foodie. Right. And so if you, you think about six years ago, uh, we were getting at the restaurant asked to join a lot of these consumer apps. And the problem with that is that consumer orders, which are 40 bucks and they charge 30 percent, you know, for the delivery. Right. It's a very kind of user risk kind of uh, agreement. but. That's not valuable to a restaurateur because those orders are coming in at peak at peak time. We're already busy, we've already got full-paying customers coming in, regulars usually that want a good experience. So we never joined a consumer delivery app. And I think in, in in really saturated markets, you're seeing that people are just ordering and not coming into restaurants and there's just 30% out of out of these folks bottom line. And and that's an impossible model to get to for a restaurant. But in any case. At Foodie, we're giving folks these large orders, and they're happening before the lunch rush. So, you know, if you want to make a five hundred dollar order at a restaurant, you have to make it at ten forty-five. We have to pick it up at eleven forty-five and get it to where it's going. So now your restaurant's busy from ten forty-five to eleven forty-five, and you just added a new rush. You're adding, uh, you're not cannibalizing walk-in traffic because the economic buyer is the company, right? And your company is never walking in anyway. So consumers are still free to have their full price meal, right? So by doubling that exp- that demand curve, you're providing real value. And the thing that I'm really excited about with our business is that restaurateurs absolutely love us, mm-hmm. right? We're making these, these businesses robust. And that comes from, from my partner, you know, who, who said, like, Hey, listen, (laughs) don't put more crap into the world. And, and it's a, a maximum I've lived by.
0: You know, I'm actually impressed that, I mean, there's all those apps. You looked at it and you pivoted so many people look at them and copy them. And so I'm sitting here nodding, going, that was an ingenious, ingenious way to sort of take something that others were doing and make it a win-win for everybody involved. So my hat off to you, Ryan.
1: Thank you. Yeah. My, uh, my, you know the other side of that that equation is the office admin or the EA, and uh, the I, I worked in offices for a long time. I had EAs. It is a thankless job. You know, it is a job that all the crap falls to the stuff that nobody else wants to do. You know, and it it I know this because I had them. But uh, also, my mother was an executive assistant in EA for pretty much her whole career. You know, and you know, having good bosses and having bad bosses maybe makes the difference. But in general, I think that's a really tough job that people don't celebrate. And, uh, you know, we have an expression in, in, uh, at, at, at Foodie internally, which is turn the office admin into the office hero. You know, we really want to celebrate them. So I think if you can find business models that, that provide real value to your stakeholders. You know, the rest is uh, the rest is, is icing.
0: So, Ryan, the last question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, Is what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think if we're fortunate, and I think if you get to be an entrepreneur, really, we are fortunate, you have to find some way to, to give back. And everybody does it in different ways. So, so what do you do?
1: You know, we've uh, I, I've had this thought a lot about volunteerism, and uh, <clears throat> there's, a, there's sort of this spectrum, I think, when you, when you think about giving back. And on the one side, it's it's, it's physically yourself showing up. And volunteering, you know, which I've done, and certainly did as a, a kid, and, and uh, even at Foodie, we have a, a, a program internally uh, where we go and, and uh, uh, serve food at the Union Gospel Mission. Uh, you know, that hands-on approach I think is an important part of giving back. Um, the other end of the spectrum, I think, is is donating money, right? Like, hey, if you're a multi-billionaire. You know, and, and we've seen really inspirational stuff coming out of, of things with like the Gates Foundation, obviously, and, 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 and how much leverage you can get. Uh, of course, we are not all billionaires, and we are not all able to give a lot of, a lot of money, but if you don't have the money to donate, uh, you know, which I do some, some, uh, some charitable donations, I think a good mix is finding not-for-profit work. And so I'm pretty active in the not-for-profit side. You know, I've, I've, I've founded, uh, street food, Vancouver. Uh, I, uh, currently, well, then I transitioned to working at Loco BC, which is a local business community. Uh, now I, I sit on the knives and forks investment co-op, uh, which is a not-for-profit co-op, uh, investment arm of a credit union here in town that invests in local, uh, food businesses. And, uh, Uh, I'm also involved with the Vancouver Outsider Arts Festival. So, you know, this is a way to give back, I think, and provide a fair bit of leverage. Uh, If you can sit on a board or, you know, ask a board, you know, if you're not being asked to join the board, if you can ask the board, if you can be on a committee for the board, you know, there's good ways for entrepreneurs to use their skill set and, and leverage it uh, at the not-for-profit level because by and large, not-for-profits, you know, don't have, uh, a ton of for-profit experience on the board and they're looking for it. So entrepreneurs can get involved that way, I think, and, and create a lot of change, positive change.
0: I, I think that's awesome. And cheers to you for doing all that stuff. I think that's I think that's great. I love to hear these stories of what people do and uh, places they've served, money they've given, and, and ways they've impacted their community. So cheers. Hey, Ryan, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, I got to know more about this guy or we've got to find out about Foodie and is it in our community, how do people find you?
1: Yeah, I think the the easiest way is to go on the website, www.food.ee. Uh, you know, you can see everything you need there. Of course, you can follow us on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, and, and, uh, and Instagram as well.
0: Nice. Well, and
1: uh, if you're at the right place, if you see the little fox, red fox.
0: Little red fox looking for foodie. Awesome. Well, I'll go follow you on Instagram immediately. And of course, we'll be promoting this episode on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram once it comes out. So we'll, we'll be sure to tag food.ee at all of their social medias. Hey, again, Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your journey and your advice. It's awesome.
1: Thanks for having me, Tom. That was a lot of fun.
0: And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every show, if it wasn't for the audience, why would we do this? Uh, Most people find the show from word of mouth, so if you like the show, tell a friend. Uh, Do me a favor. Subscribe on iTunes. We've cracked back into the top 200 career-oriented podcasts, and that's because of listeners like you subscribing. Uh, They rank that stuff on new subscriptions, so walk around your office. Make everybody with an iPhone. Subscribe on iTunes and uh, help give us a little bit of boost. Uh, If you like the show, ping me on all the social medias. I'm Tom Singer, T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R, and you can always find me at my website, TomSinger.com. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Ryan Spong. But in the meantime, go out there and do something. Try something new. And while you're at it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger.